Breaking the Panel is made possible by you and other listeners just as awesome as you are. If you want to support the show and get a little something in return, just go to patreon.com slash breaking the panel because we do appreciate the help. You heard it here first, folks. This is this is why the Batman's not happening because Charles doesn't like the title. Well, there's no Batman. Oh, yes, there is. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are trapping me. You fake media MFers, you're trapping me and twisting my words and making me look like a fool. <laughs> These days, the comic book owns pop culture. You'll find it all in the panel of your favorite comic book. Us, we're living the comic's life. We're breaking the panel. Welcome to Breaking the Panel. This is your weekly awesome download of all the cool things going on in the comic book world, from the big screen to the back bins. I'm the rock out of podcasting, Charles McFall, and with me is Superman's own Chris Wisdom. <laughs> yeah, buddy. <laughs> Metropolis kid. And the the balance to the Superman in this universe, Lex Luthor's own Paul Klotz. What? You get to be an evil genius. Why am I always the bad guy? Well, because in comic books, smart people are bad. Holy crap, I just put that together. In comic <laughs> books, smart people are the bad guys. <laughs> For those of you just tuning in, Charles is not a smart man. <laughs> but that, that's not, think about that for a second, right? Even even the heroes, uh, Mr. Fantastic, right? Reed Richards, uh, you got uh, uh, Hank Pym. They turn to be pretty much jerk faces and, and screw the world over because they're super smart. Smart people are bad in comics. Why are we reading comics? It's destroying <laughs> the world. Oh, my God. All right, moving on. <laughs> Kevin Smith projects. Right, I heard a little bit about this. I found this article. It's not much of an article from Birth a Movie's Death, but uh, Kevin Smith has been working on different projects to bring forward. I, I know he'd been working on Buckaroo Banzai, which, according to this, didn't really cross the finish line. Never got somebody to pick it up. Uh, maybe it's on hold. I don't know. I didn't clear it up here. I did see Kevin Smith tweet out himself that he was working on. Mallrats 2, I think, is what he was shopping around. But this uh, now says that basically, and I don't like that, that he used the word downgraded because that's, you can, sometimes you can do much better work in comic books than you can on a big screen. But it looks like Kevin Smith is now shopping Mallrats 2, Clerks 3 to be a comic book form. So via the AV Club on the recent episode of a Smod, uh, so on a Smodcast, he talked about it. I'm not even going to read this quote. Uh, I brought this up because I know, Chris, you follow. Uh, Smith uh, fairly closely, I think. And what do you what did, what did he say himself about this? And what do you think about it? Well, I haven't listened to that podcast yet. It's 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 waiting in my queue to listen to that that particular episode. Um, so Buckaroo Bonsai got hit sideline because the uh, the creators and was it Amazon or Hulu, whoever it was that was the production house that was going to to it into a TV show, couldn't come to an agreement with the creators, and Kevin backed out. He was like, no, this is not why I did this, because oh, I wanted... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I wanted... I, my, my initial thought was to have them come direct at least one episode. Um, Clerks 3 and Mallrats 2, he's running into issues with the licensing, because Universal owns Mallrats, um, Miramax owns Clerks, and however the, however it is that the characters work out on that, um, the rights to him, the only, the only two that he flat out owns the rights to our Jay and Silent Bob, which is I where they see something about where he's doing a new Jay and Silent Bob movie right. because of the rights issues. With exactly. That. And that's where the reboot comes into because he yeah. can push to make, have that movie made where he doesn't have a lot of control over clerks and mall rats. So, um, I'm okay with it being in comic book form because we've seen that in the past. Um, so I'm okay with it. Would I rather have a movie? And at one point, um, mall rats too, had gone from movie to television to like a 10 episode deal on TV. Um, I, w- I would, I would love to see that. Um, it, I think it, it, the problem becomes getting those actors to, to commit to a 10 episode series versus a movie. Uh, cause Jason Lee love him to death, but dude's busy. What's Times that? forward or would it be a re like a new generation of mall rats actors wise? Um, I think the original concept was to bring everybody back was to bring everybody back on mall rats Two. clerks was going to be a torch back? passing. I believe. Why would you want to bring Shannon Doherty back? Oh, why wouldn't you? She's hit on she's she's on some tough times, dude. Have a heart. Come on now. You know, earned it. 
If you had just <laughs> if you had said that to me more than a decade ago, I would have had a very different response. <laughs> Tough times that have a heart are the one I said about why would you want her back? Yes, all of the above. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I thought you were saying you sound like you were starting to say something, Clots. No. No, I'm done. <laughs> um, <laughs> Clerks two was fun. Clerks just, two was fun, but I don't know that I never yeah. ever want to see another Clerks film. Oh, see, and I I'm the opposite way. I had more than fun with Clerks two. Well, okay, I had fun, but I don't really necessarily need to see another vehicle for uh, Kevin to shit all over Lord of the Rings again. So, <laughs> I mean, well, but now he has the Hobbit. He doesn't necessarily need Lord of the Rings. Well, I mean, all get behind that. to be fair, uh, Peter Jackson and company did a fair good job of dumping all over Tolkien on their own now. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not even touching I just that, don't so. see. Okay, so he, this is one of the issues with, an, with a, a franchise like this. Because so much time passed between the first Clerks and the second Clerks, and now thinking of a third Clerks... I just don't see how we tie the story together. I mean, it's at this point, it's been 20 years, you know, basically. Uh-huh. And I like the idea of the animation. I did like the animation they did. And that's easier to manage, right? Because you're just drawing it and voicing it. You can set it at any time period, any age. Because yeah. the actors haven't actually physically aged because it's animation. See, and I I look at it like it's it's us. And I mean, that's what this vehicle has always been. Sure. I mean, it's it's us as we progress in life. And so you've got you've got these two guys that started out as clerks, were doing nothing with their life. At the end of Clerks 2, they bought the convenience store. They thought that was going to that was going to be their dream job because they always have fond memories of being clerks. Now they own the convenience store and now we get to see what happens past that. They got what they thought they wanted. Now what do they do with it? What what does that actually what does that fruit actually bear? It's called Powerless. It's on NBC <laughs> on Wednesdays. <laughs> Uh, I, I get, I get what you're saying, and honestly, I would watch it if it were made. I would watch. I watch just about everything that Kevin Smith puts out. Um, yoga hosers, I passed on. See, I There's like one other that I passed on. Yeah, yoga hosers and and Tusk. I don't like Tusk, them. Yeah, I passed on that one. I don't too. like them as much as I like the other Kevin stuff. But I've said and I've said it before. It's because. I think you can very much tell that Kevin was high in the editing room. I don't. I don't know that they're. I don't know that they're. They're bad movies. It's just the the, the editing. I feel is rough. It's very disjointed to me at times. Uh, well, I'll I'll take your word for it. However, if you're gonna do a second, Dogma, man, Dogma two. If we ever needed another Kevin Smith sequel, today is the day that you redo Dogma. And you can stay in the religion track because that's just as valid today. Or you could swap over to baby politics because that track is is very important today, too. You know, Dogma, man, that's a movie that should have changed the world if more people had seen it and understood it. You know, it's just, uh, I don't know. But what do you what, what, what about this fact that it's going to be a comic book? Are you going to buy the comics, Chris? Oh, yeah, I will. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, when that comes around, I'll forget we ever talked about this, and they'll remind you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? Kevin Smith has a comic book? It is Mallrats? Oh, my God. That's awesome. That's what you're going to hear in about six months from now. Oh, our sweet summer child. <laughs> <laughs> However, this intrigued me, and then kind of disintrigued me, and then I'm like, okay, let's see what happens. Dark Horse Comics is going to publish a Mystery Science Theater 3000 book, which, huge fan of the original. Uh, I undecided on the when they redid it uh, with some of the same people because I didn't get to really see as much of that. I got to see a lot of the original. I didn't get to see hardly any of the second run. I do know I love that they took the idea of the podcast, right, and made it... Uh, Chris, I know you know the title of their company. It's where you buy the track of them to put with the real movie. Riff tracks, riff tracks, love that. So you can take. I'm gonna make up a movie because I'm not sure if they've done it, but I'm, I'm sure they probably have done it. You can take Star Wars Episode Eight: Force Awakens, and you can buy for 99 cents the riff track to go with it, and it's uh, MST3K. Uh, wait, what? what, what, what uh, 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 episode say what? <laughs> Seriously, I'm throwing stuff out. That's what you're gonna. We love um, you, but 
I regret ever <laughs> pitching this show. I, 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 I love you dearly, Charles, but you you just stepped in it, man. You, <laughs> whew. Oh, man, I hope you're wearing waiters because, dang, man. Okay. So uh, there's a standard disclaimer that goes with any of this. If you're listening to the show for serious geek news from me, you're in the wrong damn place. I think I've established over like three to five years of working with you guys. I forget names of things, and I mix it up. So, you know, to call it out every single time is going to make for a very long episode. And to but, be fair, to be fair, Charles's daddy probably just hasn't let him see episode seven yet. <laughs> episode okay. seven, The Force Awakens. Jesus Christ. Why don't I even try? Why don't I, I should just say, pick a Stormwood film and you can buy. See, the point is, you can buy a riff track that makes any good film or bad film, any film, an MST, MST3K adventure. Trying to bring some happiness and joy, and these two Debbie Downers are bringing it down, man. Dragging oh, I think down. people are getting happiness and joy out of what just happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know I did. Ah, Maeve, I hate you guys so much sometimes. All right. Now, I do understand you're like the watchdogs. You keep the haters from emailing in and ripping me apart. I guess I can appreciate that. So, I, mean, I don't have... If- problem with any humans i don't know why i gotta be a watchdog (laughs) (laughs) now that's a nice tie-in that i get that one (laughs) that's that's fine folks next week he won't (laughs) (laughs) oh so anyway uh rift tracks rift tracks yes mystery science of 3000 uh it looks like uh, Dark Horse Comics has entered into a licensing, de- licensing deal with the best brain product productions that will include merchandise and tie-in materials for a revival of the cult classic TV series Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Netflix, including the comic book set in the world of the show. So I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But then I didn't think about logistics as I read down, but then it said, well, it'll actually the comic will actually be in between the movie watching. Right, so it's set in the universe, but it'll be following the everyday exploits of the characters, which is like, um, I'm not sure if I care. But then they pointed out, well, doing a film in comic book form, even if they took Dark Horse properties, right, or made up a film, you're going to get into possibly some issues with lettering. So because you got the lettering of what's going on behind or what they're watching or reading, then you've got the lettering of what they're saying. I think... I think if they could riff on comics like Dark Horse properties, mm-hmm. that would be interesting. But I'm not sure they pull it off. So now is the time where you guys get to talk about your thoughts and memories of MST3K. Well, and I, I think that's what they should do. Like that's if they're going to put it in comic form, then they need to go pull out of the back bin some big uh, Dark Horse crossovers or big events. And so instead of having a movie screen. Right, behind, you have the panels. In behind the silhouette. Yeah, you do the panels. Right. And Deadpool has no problem with multiple layers of of talking. You know what's going on. So Yeah, kinda of that popped in my mind too, you know, when they said there would be an issue with lettering. Um, that sounds like weak sauce. I, I, I just remember it came on for me, it came on PBS, which is public broadcasting system, and it came on PBS. Oh, man, I can't even remember. I think it was a Saturday evening, perhaps. And at the same time, I could watch that right behind. Not at the same time, but right behind it. I, I think it came on the same time as Saturday Night Live. So I had, a choice, had to choose between the 90s Saturday Night Live, which is my team of Adam Sandler and Chris oh. Farley and David Spade, all those guys. That was my era. I had to pick between watching that or I could watch on PBS. I could watch MST3K, followed up by Red Dwarf, man. And that was some hard decisions to make some nights. That is a weird, because that would have been red-green leading into that. That's that's a weird transition to go red-green to MST3K MST into Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. I mean, I guess. He... Yeah. I, it's, it was Georgia, man. I don't know what to tell you. But that was my experience. And then in college, I got to really sit down and we rented some DVDs of it where it had two movies in one. So you'd watch two or three episodes or whatever. Uh, 
And it was, I, my favorite thing was, I remember, I remember it's some Conan the Barbarian ripoff movie they're watching. And the crow, he sees Conan. The, well, it's not the character's not Conan, right? But it's that kind of barbarian thing. He has this very little loincloth that keeps flying up. It's showing the thong that the dude's wearing. <laughs> and crow goes, "This show is for ladies, but I like it too." And, and I love that line ever since. Uh, but but comics and and even if it's you know coming back to Netflix, uh, clots. You're. You're a, a binge watcher. You like watching the things on demand. Do you have memories of MST3K, and are you excited about the return of it? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the thing is, when I was growing up, when I was in high school and college, uh, you'd always played on Sundays around here. So, like, that was the sometimes hungover uh, Sunday watch, and sometimes it was the, um, you know, like the just, oh, just hang out or whatever. But um, yeah. I mean, it's a it's it's classic. I mean, if you're a nerd, if you like sci-fi and bad movies, and you want to watch, you know, a couple of robots and a janitor riff on it, you're gonna you're gonna like MST3K. Um, the the revival on Netflix. I mean, I was following that, tracking it for a bit with the uh, the Kickstarter and everything, and I think they've got a lot of great people involved. I mean, the people that they've brought on are fantastic, you know what I mean? As well as, uh, you know, having one of the original creators and stuff. So it's going to, I think it's going to be more, more of the good stuff though. There should be, we should probably take a moment to note that there's a distinction between the new MST three K and the riff tracks crew. Cause they were both involved in the past, but it's different groups, um, doing it. So riff, riff tracks will still be a thing as far as I know. I don't think. Yeah, I hope so. That because it's really, yeah. it's a yeah. fun idea, and it is. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's gonna be great. I mean, you got, you know, Felicia Day is involved, and a bunch of other awesome people. Oh, nice! I didn't know that. I, oh, I've yeah. not been following. Well, because I mean, you know nothing, nope. Charles McFall. <laughs> I'm not Who's Felicia gonna... Day again? <laughs> Red Rum. There will come a there will come a day when we stop giving you this much crap all the time, but not this day. Not this day. May maybe maybe if I up my game and get some right. But if I get if I start getting it right, then I lose my goofy lovable factor, and that that turns things off. Uh, I don't know if you're as goofy and lovable as you seem to think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're definitely goofy. Yeah, you got the good the first part down down right. solid. Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt. I am rolling 20s to get out of this conversation as fast as I can roll. <laughs> if you'd like to understand that reference, go to botch.com, part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. You can find them on Giant Size Team Up. Phil is so much smoother. Yeah, he So is. much smoother. Fun fact. Charles says that, but he doesn't even entirely get it. So <laughs> <laughs> He's much like a parrot. He's just repeating something he's heard before. Hey, you know, kind of, know, kind can... of like all of his views on Warner Brothers DC films. Oh, come on! That is not true. That, that is not uh, true. Yeah, that's that. That isn't true. That isn't true at all. Paul. I'm, I'm it, not. <laughs> it ahead. is so much more than just the, the just the movies. There's all the DC <laughs> on the Warner Brothers on CW. Or it's yeah, it's the full gamut. If it came from another DC podcast or a DC proper podcast, then yeah. It's, Probably. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not saying Chris let me a 20 to get that in there, but <laughs> if retroactively he did, it would be well earned. Well earned. <laughs> no, are we good now? Are we good? Now? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm good. <laughs> but you. <laughs> We've talked piracy. We've talked piracy in the past with with different deep conversations about it. I think I've made a comment on this show that at at the time of the happening, which was uh, Zombieland was in theaters and had been in theaters for a week or two, and um, at the, it, it was such a niche film even then, comedy zombies. It was. Kind of, I can't remember if it was at the beginning of the zombie heyday, which lasted for about a year, or if it was towards the end of it. I think it was towards the beginning of it. And it, it was still like, I want to see that, but my wife didn't want to see it, wasn't sure about the property. 
there's a little place called Pirate Bay that you could go and, and get it for free. And no, it's not legal at all. Uh, but I did. I watched it. And I loved it so much. As I started calling my friends and told my wife, like, we got to see it. And I think I went to the theaters like three times to see it. Because just for different people. So I really loved that movie. At the time of all that going on, it became, Zombieland became the number one most pirated film in the world. At the same time, it was number one film in the box office for like two or three weeks straight. I, I don't remember my numbers exactly, but it was it was big. It was doing well for stuff, making tons of money. They had already greenlit Zombieland 2. And then when whoever did the study, I don't know if it's Pirate Bay themselves released information or Anonymous or whoever put it out there, but the fact that it was the number one most pirated film in the world at that time, the writers of Zombieland shed their stupid little bro tears and was like, we're never going to do another movie like this. I can't believe you'd steal from us. We're creators. Blah, blah, blah. And my point back then, and my point, if I brought it up on the show here was people were appreciating your art and the theft of it actually seemed to propagate the actual going and spending money on your film. You made millions of dollars easily yourselves as the writers on this film and to walk away from doing a sequel because people pirated it was stupid. Guess what? Science, bitches, because we've got a story <laughs> that backs me up here. I like this. This is uh, from torrentfreak.com, and this is a study done by, is it Cabo? Who did the study? Coda. Coda. This is an anti-piracy group called Coda, which represents Japanese comic publishers, uh, did a study on piracy losses overseas, and they estimate that the the amount of piracy is double to the size of overseas legal revenue, so of manga specifically. But uh, you can read the article. It's going to be linked in our show notes. Uh, but if you go and look, Professor Tatsuo Tanaka, and if that is a Pokemon professor and I'm getting a spoof article, I'm going to be pissed. But that this look, reads like a legitimate article. Professor Tatsu Tanaka, Tatsuo, sorry, I mispronounced his name. I looked into more closely. Uh, he works in, he's a faculty of economics at Kyo University. Decided to look into how piracy interacts with legal sales. Because, yeah, you can study the downloads, you can study your sales, you can say there are these gaps, but what's going on? The summary of it all, and it tells you how they did a study and, and gotten some results and how they came to their conclusion. But the study shows, in manga specifically, when the series ends, the sales plummet. I would think as opposed to perhaps marvel comics and u.s comics where we have the apps and the whatnots going on that we want to go back and read civil war that we want to know the history of what happened with the character but well you know maybe the sales actually plummet as well there so i'm going to leave that aside but legal sales plummet when the series ends what they believe is happening with piracy is it's widely available through the world right so you download a manga and you become aware of a series it actually seems to stimulate legal sales and retired books if the way i said it makes sense does that make sense to you guys mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. so what do you think about that i mean on the face value does it well does it match with what you see happening or what yeah so okay <clears throat> manga and anime are a complicated issue in regards to piracy okay um okay so the academic in me wants to establish some baseline understanding for everybody at home. Please. The thing, the thing to keep in mind is that all of that content is imported, right? And it's imported from Japan, and it is not cheap. Manga is not cheap. Uh, anime is not cheap. That's why when you go into, like, an FYE or a Barnes & Noble or something, you know, your favorite anime series has five episodes of it on a DVD box set that costs, like, 40 bucks kind of thing um it's ridiculously overpriced and a lot of that is some of it is import you know all that kind of you know tariffs and whatnot but a lot of it is really just uh kind of the the general japanese way of doing business is that oftentimes japanese companies don't care if they're charging too much for their products they just do it I mean, it, look at, like, Nintendo, for example. Nintendo's attitude has always been, we do things this way, 
and we're fine with that. Like, you right, know what I mean? Right. They, they respond to things like, for example, the Wii U being kind of a failure for them, but they don't change their course. They're just like, all right, well, we're going to take that into consideration and we'll try to do better, but honestly, we're not going to change who we are. You know what I mean? And a lot of Japanese companies look at it that way. There's a culture to Japanese business, and that is definitely, you know what I mean, one of the things. So the reason why manga and anime gets pirated so much is because it's really freaking expensive. It's getting better now that you can go to like a Barnes and Noble and get, you know, a whole bunch of issues of a manga, you know, and they're they're like paperback prices generally if they're, you know, there. But um, for a long time, it was like, you'd have to pay like $10 or more for a manga. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is way thicker than a a U.S. comic book. Because it's more of like, if you took half of like a paperback book and put pictures and stuff in it, you know what I mean? Anyway, so... Take that into consideration. The other thing is that uh, with anime, a lot of times the problem has always been that it doesn't get translated quickly enough. You know, so there's not... Um, it'll come out in Japan. This is more of a, think like, ten, five, ten years ago issue. Not so much of an issue today, because I'll get back to that. Um, but it used to take a long time for a dubbed version of a show to come out, uh, for a translated version of the manga to come out, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so that would impact piracy as well. But that being said, manga and anime are very strongly driven by word of mouth. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole subculture where people get into them, you know, the various properties because other people are into it and they start talking about it. You know what I mean? Um, and if for anybody who doesn't know, anime is pretty huge among young people. Like... I'm, you know, in my early 30s, it was kind of present when I was growing up. When I was in my early 20s, it had started to really break out as a mainstream thing. Even though it's still relatively fringe in the grand scheme of the Western culture, it's still, it's there, you know what I mean? But young people that I encounter, especially people in, like, gaming circles and stuff like that, everybody watches anime. They just all watch different stuff generally, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Because there's a million different themes. There's something to scratch every itch out there. You know, if you want to battle anime there's one out there if you want you know a romance one there's a ton of those if you, you want a dog girl there's one <laughs> love love <laughs> that meme love it uh yeah so that's the thing is uh like because i actually it's kind of funny a friend of mine got me interested in watching bleach again and i was watching it a bit last night and i was reminded you know bleach originally came out around 2005 and back in the mid to late 2000s, the translations took months. So uh, there was a big culture of people subbing the, um, doing the subtitles off the, the Japanese release. You know, so somebody would go in and translate all the lines, and add it, but it all had to be fan done, you know, on the down low. And so you'd have to go searching for fan subs, um, which is not really a thing anymore, uh, because nowadays... Most of these production companies have embraced that their Western audience wants to be on top of, you know, each release as it comes out. So they usually release like a, if not very, like the same time, a dubbed version, very close. And they generally have a subbed version ready whenever it comes out. Um, Subbed versus dubbed being subtitled versus dubbed audio, you know. Gotcha. Because people have different preferences. uh, And... So that that's a thing that's very much changed. The other big thing is, you know, we talk about the unlimited, the Marvel Unlimited app, and we talk about stuff like Netflix or Hulu. Uh, there's an app for anime called Crunchyroll mm-hmm. that has done the same thing. It is it's a, a huge content distributor who has licensed almost everything you could possibly imagine. Usually has uh, what what they call simulcast, where it comes up the same time it would come up in Japan. So, you know, if in a, a new episode of a show came out today in Japan, it's available on the site. Um, and that's a pay public, service, right? It's a pay service, but it's very affordable, just like Netflix would be. It's a, it's around the same. You know what I mean? I don't think it's more than like 10 bucks a month. I don't know the exact amount. Cause sure. I don't, yeah, pay yeah, for, I don't pay for it. My roommate gets it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's affordable. And that's a big thing. You know, when we talk about piracy, there's a couple of things that drive people to piracy. And one of the big things is price point, you know, but there's a service out there now that you just pay your monthly sub and you can watch 
millions of episodes of anime. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not exaggerating. Because there's dozens upon dozens of different series on there, and they ha- usually have the whole run. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, but the thing is, it's that word of mouth. And so, like, the piracy angle comes in where it's like, when when people can just go grab it, they're going to talk about it. And it's going to hit those internet chat room, you know, not chat rooms, but you know what I mean? Like Reddit or other communities, actually 4chan is a big community for that kind of stuff. You know, um, it's going to hit Facebook. It's going to hit word of mouth, you know, in social circles online. Like if people who play video games together, like I, I've been playing a lot of Warframe lately and I've been hanging out with a certain content creators community that he built around his content. And in that community on discord, they all talk about this one anime like nonstop. Like they reference it every five seconds and it's gotten to the point where I'm going to watch it now because I've heard the references so much that I just got to know, you know what I mean? It's like one of the, they've definitely peer pressured me into it without directly trying to peer pressure me. (laughs) Um, The anime in question is called Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Um, And it's one of those things. It's like, it permeates through the culture. I think of like more recently attack on Titan did the same kind of thing. Attack on Titan came out and it permeated through the anime culture. Like people, even people who didn't really want to watch it begrudgingly checked it out because everybody talked about it. You know what I mean? So it's uh, word of mouth is huge. Um, but I, and I don't think it's that different for Western comics and Western comic films and such in the same, you know what I mean? If people are going to pirate some of that stuff, they're going to talk about it and it's going to build excitement and it's going to build sales. I can't tell you how often I've seen a pirated copy of something and then been like, now I want to own it, especially a Blu-ray where like, I want to own the special features and you know, all that kind of stuff. One of my favorites in particular is uh, Man of Steel because it's really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) I own it. I own a Blu-ray. Uh, yeah. Well, I own it. I, to be fair, I own it on Blu-ray because it paid for my ticket to go right. see. Right. Yes. Now tell me why you own the Blu-ray. I, I actually like it, but yeah, it, it gave me a ticket to BBS as well. Uh, I can I, I can thank uh, Mrs. Charles McFall for that because she threw uh, yeah. that information out, yeah. and I was like, I'm on it. I'll go buy some of the Nolan trilogy and whatever to get my friends in to see this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, you make a great point about affordability. Some of the little blips that were attached to this article is piracy warnings, uh, you know, in quotes, piracy warnings before films are increasing box office revenues. No kidding. Because one, you yeah, have to go pay to see the warning. Two, we know there's a huge disconnect in the reality of what you're trying to sell us and what's actually happening. Yeah. Do, okay. Does does the Surgeon General's warning on a pack of smokes nope. stop somebody from going through two packs a day? No. <laughs> no. Because no. it is it because it becomes white noise after a while. You yeah. know what I mean? And then you you get the other piracy warnings, the ones where they show you all the workers and stuff that are going to be affected yes. by you not buying. And it's just so condescending and disingenuous that you're like, whatever. And they get like, paid long before I stole the film. Yeah. I mean, uh, my oh, cousin yeah. stole the film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how many? How many of the people that you just pictured have back end coming to them? Yeah, none. Yeah. yeah, none. You wouldn't steal a car, well. Yeah. If I needed to, if your cars were well, I mean, fifty million dollars and I had to get to work, I might just steal one. We're not. We're not going to get into it on the show here, but that yeah. kind of touches on the fact that if you follow the film going, like the you know the film fanatic uh, social circle you'll start seeing information come out about how the whole movie industry is predicated on the idea that even if a movie is a financial flop in the box office, they always make their money back. Mm -hmm. Because they do a lot of really, really creative accounting, and there's always (laughs) DVD bump, you know, dump bins, you know what I mean? And so just like, the same way as no matter how successful, financially successful a movie is, it never made a whole lot of profit. Oh, yeah. yeah right. Yep. Yeah. 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 All that is there. So we've got a lot of other interesting topics coming up. We've got some outrage. We've got Inhumans. Yes, I am tracking that. It's on TV. We've got Netflix and NASA. So stick around. We'll be back in just a second. And hey, we're back. Let's jump right into it. This was revealed today. And you know what? We could talk some actual science, people. We could talk some stuff because we're always dreaming about flying to other planets. We're always dreaming about life out there in the universe. 
NASA telescope, I love this. I really do love this. NASA telescope reveals largest batch of Earth-sized habitable, habitable zone planets around a single star. This is off of NASA.gov. So you know it's not alternative facts. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love the idea of this is that they found three. Wrong. <laughs> sad. Very sad. What? Hit me. No, you, I'm Charles, gonna... are fake news. <laughs> <laughs> I never tried to be real news. I just talk about fake, what I like. F- fake news personified. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that you're a perpetrator of alternate facts. I'm just gonna say that you exist within alternate reality. Yeah, back in my day, we used to call it somebody who didn't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> also known as a McFall. Oh! <laughs> uh, so this <laughs> this article, the sum of it is, according to the announcement, NASA has used uh, the Trappist telescope, and it does break down what it means, uh, what Trappist means. But it, it's uh, they found a bunch of planets, seven planets that's that orbit one star. That's a solar system. Uh, similar to ours, three Earth-sized habitable zone planets are there, which is defined. I'm, I'm scrolling to see where it says is. Here it is. Three of these planets are firmly located in the habitable zone, which is the area around the parent star where a rocky planet is most likely to have liquid water. That that doesn't mean we know anything about the atmospheres. It doesn't mean it is habitable. It's just a really cool step towards the future in my book. What do you guys think? It is. It's amazing. And I always I always scoff a little bit when when water becomes the because then they they should qualify when when they say it's not it's not for life to exist. It's for life as we know it to exist. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. This is not touching on aliens or alien life at this point. Well, Well, I mean, it would be alien life by definition. Well, okay, yes, but th- I think this is more shooting towards we could m- possibly move there at some point. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's. I mean, it's 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 good news. I I always get a little gleeful when I see another another Goldilocks planet has 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 emerged. But you know, then the downside yeah. is always how long is it going to take to travel there? Uh, Forty and, light years. And how many years is it going to take NASA on its current budget? And its future budget to actually be able to get us there. I, all I'm saying is nothing gets me more excited than the possibility of a new planet we can go take a dump on. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, we've been so great with this one. I mean, I, I'm really thinking, like, what do you think? Two decades before we ruin another habitable planet? Like... Once we get there, like, but we no, at that no, point, not we, even, dude, not even. We'll have to long. have accelerated our our ability to do such things at such a point by that, you know. So news reports in the future are going to read. Well, the first shuttle, the first manned shuttle to, they're calling it Trappist uh, One or Trappist Seven, Trappist One. I, I don't know. They're calling it something after Trappist. They haven't actually named these things. Let's just call it. Let's call it Planet Clots. Okay, so news comes back. The first manned flight to Planet Klotz ended in tragedy after three years after its launch because, according to the reports, everybody started fight, fighting and blew up the ship. And then <laughs> many years later, it'd be the second manned flight to Planet Klotz ended in tragedy after 10 years of trying to get there because people got into fights and blew up their own ship. And they said, well, yeah, I don't think it would take a whole two decades of being on planet before we... Ruined. All I'm saying is I give it by day two before somebody steals a shuttlecraft, finds a cave to live in, and parks, crash lands the shuttlecraft right in front of the cave and leaves it there forever. And just <laughs> and thus establishes this new planet's very first trailer park. <laughs> God, man. So the geeks and us all rejoice, right? Oh, my God. Potential of future... Living somewhere else, new new planets, new new adventures, but the reality comes into corporations and who can claim it and who owns it, and notwithstanding the possibility of life on the planet that was already there, Native Americans. Um, so I'm just saying, thanks for bringing the room down, Klotz. <laughs> well you know it's, it's one of my many talents brought it down like a, a crash shuttlecraft 
Netflix has its own toys. And it's not for Netflixing and chilling, unless you're just really weird. Uh, Final Shots has come out. This is on Decider.com, which Decider.com is way too close to Collider. I don't like that naming that close. Uh, uh, Netflix-inspired Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and other Marvel action figures are unveiled. And these are your typical G.I. Joe action size figures, six inches, um, a few points of articulation. They look fantastic. I discovered this while I was talking with Klotz pre-show. I was like, oh, I G.I. Joe the hell out of these. <laughs> Klotz, what would you say about a grown man playing? Oh, I could just totally see me being like, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> Go, Joe! <laughs> Oh, I kind of would consider it. I mean, these these are really good looking figures. They just look like. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay them, but they look like your run of the mill Marvel Legends figures. I mean, nothing. Well, I mean, look to me. Okay, so but you capture the essence of Burnthal, right? His uh-huh. face and everything. It look, I've seen some of the Green Lantern toys. They did not really look a whole lot. Yeah, I well, mean, those also weren't Marvel Legends figures. Well, okay, not all of us are one percenters. Wisdom. I'm oh, sorry. and actually, it, it does say that it says Marvel Legends reveal. So yeah, okay. Well, there you go. Right. I mean, I I don't know what's going on with Jessica Jones's knees, but I'm pretty sure knees don't work that way. <laughs> they, they kind of extended out in a weird fashion. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, the picture, the the promo picture for Jessica Jones makes it look like she's taking a dump standing up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Well, like it, like um, the Charlie Sheen Alien movie. It's uh, not Contact. That was the Jodie Foster one, but it's about the same time as Jodie Foster. But anyway, the aliens basically bent their knees backwards. Even though she's not bending her knees backwards, it kind of reminds me of those aliens a little bit. That stance that she has. <laughs> Charlie Sheen alien? Are you talking about scary movie? No, no, no. Maybe it's not Charlie Sheen. Who <laughs> Three? was that? Who was it? No. Charlie Sheen was in a movie with aliens. It was called Scary Movie no, Three. That's and not that's the abomination. Movie. That's not the movie I'm thinking of. Uh, God, I, I thought it was Charlie Sheen, but it was. There's this little black kid in it, uh, and he ended up being an alien, but he's helping them. I really. Can't, it was not a memorable movie. It was a bad movie. The Arrival. <laughs> no, it's not the arrival. That's Amy Adams. Yes. No, no, that's the arrival. What was the one with Amy Adams? Arrival. Arrival. Oh, I hate when movies do that. I get confused <laughs> enough with real movies like Star Wars. God. Real movies <laughs> like Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, because Arrival's a. <laughs> Never mind. No, 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 but you get what I'm saying. A New Hope's a documentary, right? <laughs> <laughs> It will be in about a hundred years with these new planets. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. But you know, you know what I'm saying is the title: "The Arrival" versus "Arrival." Yeah. Seriously, stop doing that. It makes my brain hurt. You yeah. heard it here first, folks. This is this is why the Batman's not happening because Charles doesn't like the title. Well, there's no Batman. Oh, yeah, serious. Never mind. The Batman. <laughs> you guys are trapping me. You think media mfers? You are trapping me and twisting my words and making me look like a fool. <laughs> and then he said, "There is no Batman." <laughs> Thank you, Michael Keaton. You are done. We no longer need you. Go back to Mr. Mom. <laughs> oh man! I need to drink more alcohol. Jesus! <laughs> oh man! I oh. That that was so good. Like I need a smoke afterwards. <laughs> I don't. I mean, wow! <laughs> I mean, I mean, just Chris just like lobbed that one up off the backboard, and then you know. Oh, I grabbed just... the basketball and punted it like it was a football. It got stuck in the gym rafters. Yeah, you went to go block your shot and just slammed it into your own basket. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. But there's no bad. Oh, oh man. God. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. <laughs> this show is comedy first, and then I oh, do it's... a second. There is no news in this show. <laughs> There's that is going to be the excerpt for this episode, by the way. But there is no Batman. <laughs> oh, it might be the title. That might be a better title. <laughs> oh, Lord. Come on. All right, Claude. You, you, uh, no, Wisdom's next. Wisdom, you got some in- 
Inhumans news. All right, so Inhumans, which a couple of us knew was moving <clears throat> off the big screen to the little screen, um, or at least we remember talking about it, <laughs> um, <laughs> has got some interesting casting news. Uh, it uh, has been... Uh, Maximus the Mad has been cast, and it's going to be... Uh... Mike, you have to cut this out because I'm brain pooping right now. Um... <laughs> okay, wait. Charles forgets something, and you guys write him for about a half an hour about it, but you get a small brain fart, and you want me to cut it out of the show? <laughs> no, that's not happening. <laughs> Ramsey. Ramsey Bolton. Ramsey Bolton. I don't remember how to pronounce his last name, but it's Ewan who played Ramsey Bolton. Rayon who. Was who... Also... Yeah. Yeah. He was also on uh, Misfits. Uh, before he did Game of Thrones, so. that's right. He was. He was a time traveler in the first. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was, was spoiler, Charles. Like, oh Dude, man, that was. Shut up. That was like three <laughs> years ago, at least, if not more. Three years, really? It was just three. It was a long time ago, Charles. I don't know. I watched it like three or four years. Um, ago, so. The only reason I say spoiler is because you just ruined like the whole plot hook for his character that took an entire season to pay off. But, anyways, um, don't get mad seen. at me. Get mad at the writers. <laughs> and again, it's outside of the spoiler zone. I don't care. Um, Chris, did you want to continue with your lovely article here before Charles? I feel like a grumpy no, 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 old no, man fine. now. I, was, I mean, that was, that was it. That was the. Uh, yeah, so he's a fantastic actor. I'm excited about this. Um, the moment I saw this, uh, I believe what I said in our little our show chat on Facebook was uh, F yes, this is an amazing, this is like the best possible casting. Yeah, it's, um, it's pitch perfect. I mean, picture perfect, in fact. I mean, yeah. yeah. Because I, I think back to the Inhumans you know, mini run from the 90s, and I think of the very first panel where you see Maximus, and I was immediately putting him in that position, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited about that. That's really, that's really promising. Very, very cool. What do you think, Charles? I had, I, do you I, see it? I, I yeah. want to do what the political administration should do. No comment at this time. <laughs> well, speaking. No, I, he is a great. He is a great actor. Uh, I am vaguely familiar with Maximus because I, I experienced him in War of Kings, uh, the mm-hmm. crossover series that was a big Inhuman uh, Lantern or not Lantern, sorry, Nova Corps crossover series. And uh, I get the gist of his characters and seeing what he's done in Game of Thrones, and then rem- being reminded of what his acting was like in uh, Misfits, I think he's going to be great. Very talented actor. Uh, it'll be it'll be fantastic. And I also think it'll bring, you know, it, it lends some, uh, s- uh, some weight to this production, you know what I mean? Because he's, he's coming out of Game of Thrones, so he's at, you know, a peak moment in his popularity and everything. He's, people know who he is. You know, he's obviously not like, fringe you know it's a this is a prominent currently prominent actor getting uh cast in something so i i'm hopeful my favorite character in the misfits was i, I don't remember the actor or the character's name but the curly haired guy who his uh-huh. payoff actually took a lot longer to play out to figure out what his power right. was yep. um, but he left the show i don't know for what reason but i know shortly after he left the show he showed up in a few american movies and his whole mm-hmm. talent is being that sarcastic mouth on the um uh, as a psychic type of thing, he did really great with it. I loved him, and unfortunately, he just never got picked up, or at least in stuff I've seen, he hasn't been widely he's, picked up to do more. He's still around, but yeah, he's he's a bit of a character actor in that regard. Um, Danzig's always been my favorite misfit. Okay, so moving on here. Tell your children. Uh, <laughs> um. So I bring this one to the table because I'm a little annoyed. Oh, um, soapbox, soapbox. Oh yeah. Oh, soapbox, So the the t-shirt manufacturer Primark has pulled a Walking Dead licensed Walking Dead t-shirt 
uh, because it's been accused as being racist and offensive. Uh, now, to provide some context, what the shirt is, for you Walking Dead fans, you'll understand this immediately. It's a picture of Lucille, Negan's uh, baseball bat that is wrapped in barbed wire, uh, that had a very prominent role at the end of last season and at the beginning of this season. It's iconic. It's a pretty big deal. Um, it's one of the thi- probably one of the most popular icons that come out of The Walking Dead since, like, Carl's hat, which was his dad's Carl. hat, you know, Rick's hat. And stuff like that. Like, it's it's iconic. It, it's yeah. a, The shirt is simply a white t-shirt with black text in this picture of this bat that says, Eeny, meeny, my Nemo. And it, it's a direct reference to the scene where he's deciding um, to provide a little context. He's going to off somebody because uh, Rick's group has been in opposition to his own group. And he's got to send a message. That's the way he, because he's a bad dude. And that's how he, you know, kind of sets the tone is he always off somebody right away. Um, so my, I'm annoyed because this for me is kind of representative of a hypersensitive side of our modern culture. Now, I don't want to downplay the fact that, you know, racism and, you know, any kind of ism, any kind of discrimination is still a very big issue in our society. Um, it's a it's a thing. I acknowledge it. I embrace it. I don't like it when people, you know, especially when people abuse a, a certain pulpit to be able to push their views. But in the context of this, um, the reason it's considered offensive is because eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you know, usually followed by catch a tiger by its toe. Mm-hmm. Apparently has an alternate, ver- and I mean, folks at home, I think you're pretty intelligent. I think you can imagine what's been inserted in in an alternate phrasing Insert of that. Insert a racial slur. Right. Exactly. Um, so there's been some debate about which was the original rhyme. You know, like what came first, the racial epithet or the, you know, the, what we, I think most of us grew up with knowing as a bit of a, not quite a nursery rhyme, but, you know, a childhood rhyme. Um, certainly a phrase that's been uttered by millions of kids who've grown up, at least here in the United States, while playing games, you know, in the schoolyard or on the playground or whatever. Um, certainly not something that I think most of us initially see as, as a, you know, a racially charged, uh, little, little rhyme. So basically, I guess what I'm saying is like, uh, apparently... This in this article, um, which is from HuffPo, um, somebody saw it and like was immediately like, "Oh my God, this is fantastically offensive!" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I mean, it's a direct reference to something that happened in the show and in the comic book. In the comics, it's a, it's just a. A colloquialism you know what i mean like it's and i it, it, this is a landmine i or like this is a minefield like this whole yeah. topic but basically it, the soapbox moment here is at what point is enough enough like very clearly this is just a licensed product for a very popular tv show that's directly referencing something from that show um which, I mean, I guess isn't always appropriate. Like, for example, you wouldn't really want to merchandise like American History X, you know what I mean? And have some <laughs> of the catchphrases. Shoes for curb stomping right here. Yeah. Right, exactly. That's what I'd say. Like, you wouldn't have a t-shirt that, you know, showed that famous scene, but that film has an entirely different tone, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so if I guess they, I just... They, you add geek to it, you can merchandise some of the darkest stuff that you would... Mm-hmm. It's set anywhere else in any other setting, it'd be abhorrent right people are like oh my god why would you do that but you put it in this geek setting we're like I, i'd buy that t- I, I don't know if i would personally buy because i would never be offended by that t-shirt you're like no i get it i get the reference i understand what you're you know why you're well, yeah out. like oh, from georgia ahead, georgia wouldn't buy this it's got too many sleeves <laughs> <laughs> and and by too many any number greater than zero yeah. being it's not florida we are a step above florida thank you <laughs> Um, I mean, yeah. Speaking if of, you, if you want to celebrate your D minus, <laughs> but uh, speaking of Georgia, though, you talked about growing up. I have always lived in the South as long as I can remember. 
I was born in Florida, which is just the south of the north or the north of the south. It's just old people from the north come down there. But I've lived in Georgia and southern rural farm Georgia many of my formative years. And then only until when I became an adult did I move towards civilization. Okay. So I grew up with the same thing you're talking about, Klotz, of this any meeny, mine, and mo, catch a tiger by his toe. I lived openly in areas where racial slurs were acceptable. Now, in my house, it was not acceptable, but we were surrounded by people that it was acceptable, common knowledge, common decency, whatever you want to call it, to say racial slurs to different races in the area. And there were no race riots. There were no fight backs because that was the accepted way. And the thing is wrong, but that was the accepted way of life. It was almost off a movie sometimes. You know, not all of it's exaggerated. And yet I never heard the alternative slur version of this nursery rhyme, if you will, until I was closer to college age. And the first time somebody said it, I went, that's not how that goes. What the hell's wrong with you? You know? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it's that's your very juvenile, you know, what are most kids doing? Or, or I, I guess I would, I don't want to mischaracterize this. I guess most young boys, you hit a certain age, you start hanging out with, you know, your friends and people start like cracking jokes and they start twisting old nursery rhymes into things that are, mm-hmm. you know, less wholesome. And, and, and generally it's probably mostly just because they're trying to get a rise out of somebody else, you know, because they're trying, you know, adolescent bonding is an awkward and strange science. Um, (laughs) But, you know, like, it's one of those things that I know I I agree with you, Charles. Like, I grew up in rural upstate New York, you know, so I grew up in a farm town and I did not hear an alternative version of this until I was the same as you, until I was an adolescent, until I was in like junior high or something like that. And then, of course, there's a million of them at that point. You know what I mean? Um, uh, different, you know, nursery rhymes and tunes that have been twisted to mean something, you know, mm-hmm. less wholesome. Um, and, and I want to make it clear. I'm not advocating that it's okay to do that stuff. I'm just saying that's a thing that happens. But grow, I think most of us grew up with this, like, rhyme as just a, that's, I mean, it's in our lexicon, you know? In the back of, I think, most, Amer- especially Americans' heads, this rhyme is just child's play, you know, and it's there's nothing sinister about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so I just want to bash somebody's head in with a well, yeah. Bat. I mean, and, and, and yeah. I would say Kirkman's original intent with with putting that in the comic and then subsequently putting it in the show is that one of the things that makes Negan really stand out is that he's very charismatic and charming, and he uses simple language. You know what I mean? But he's there's something about him. There's an allure to him. But when you're gonna, about to murder a mofo and you use a child's rhyme mm-hmm. to casually choose your victim, it, it sends a message. You know what I mean? Like to, it sends the message that to, to this character, this is just child's play. This is like everyday stuff. Like it, it's not a big deal. Um, and that that's a show. I think Walking Dead has very successfully done a great job of showing a lot of people from a lot of different ethnic backgrounds and never spending a lot of time focusing on racial issues. You know what I mean? There's a little bit of it. It's it's hinted at, it's acknowledged, it's not ignored. You know what I mean? Well yeah, most of that's with Merle and mm-hmm. it's squashed like in the first within the first season. Yep. You know, and it's yeah. <clears throat> I, I I don't know, I think it's an interesting juxtaposition too with with Negan, not not only the fact that he's you know, about to murder somebody just after saying this nursery rhyme. But that's where you see Negan, who is a very horrible person, a mm-hmm. very horrible person. And he will say some very awful things and do even tremendously more awful things. Yes. But he isn't, he has never been racist. It's too easily. Could he have done that and just added to the, the depths of which this character will go and he doesn't do it. Right. But, because at the end of the day, Negan thinks he's a, a, a good guy. He thinks he's pragmatic about everything. Mm-hmm. Like he's not he's not in the game to be a bad guy. He's doing what needs to be done, shock and awe at the beginning to get people in line with what he needs them to do. Right. And he's he's an agreeable psychopath. But yeah, it's 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 weird that I don't know. Honestly until I 
encountered this article, I'd never realized there was an alternative to any mini mini mo right. other than ink a ink a bink a bottle of ink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that, that's crazy to me that this this is happening. Um, and and I wonder. I wonder too because Primark and this is a BBC article, so this happened in England. Uh, it references a BBC article. This is a HuffPo article, but yeah, uh, it, I do believe that the outrage originated in the UK. Hi. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Which is well, you know that that highlights another thing too. I guess uh, I think it's interesting that that folks in the UK would immediately see offense in this in attach it to America's issues with the racial divide and everything, you know what I mean? Um, and maybe it's just a case of, I don't know if the walking dead has the same, you know, cultural, uh, impact that it has had here in the States. You know what I mean? I don't right. know that it's at the tip of everybody's tongue in the same way that it is here. I mean, pretty much everybody, knows well most most people under like say the age of like 50 know at least know what walking dead is even if it's not their thing they're kind of at least somewhat aware of what the whole gist of it is um but that might not be the case overseas i mean that's another thing too is it's context is i mean (laughs) i don't know if if you've ever spent any time on the internet you might have come across (laughs) some of the amazingly amusing uh shirts that show up in like you know, open air mm-hmm. markets in Asia and such where there's incredibly offensive things written on the t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And it's really just the fact that it's somebody outside of our culture trying to replicate the popularity of our culture. And they're like using Google translate to do it or something. And they don't know what they're saying. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess it basically like the real question here is, is, is this overreaction? Is it manufactured outrage? Is it, legitimate like concern for the people who might be offended and who would feel affected by this issue. And uh, that's the thing. So looking at this article, okay. So the stores, Primark stores, these are just in the UK, UK, Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a European store. So this dude saw this in Europe and his Mm -hmm. quote is that it was fantastically offensive. This image relates directly to the practice of assaulting black people in America. It is directly threatening of a racist assault, and if I were black and were faced by a wear, I would know just where I stood. <laughs> so the dude's not black. Yeah. The dude's not from America. As far and I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say that any meeny miny mo is probably not as prevalent in European lexicon as it is in America. That's very possible. Did he go to the Urban Dictionary to figure out what it meant? I mean, yeah. So this is somebody that not only found offense, but they had to go looking, scraping, and digging to find the offense. They have no leg to stand. This, this right here, folks. This right here, and and I don't use it lightly. This is a social. This is what should be thought of when a social justice warrior is referenced. This is this is the the dark side of it right here. This is looking for the fight. Yeah, yeah, yep. I, I agree. I mean, I think this. There are so many things that if if you're passionate about race issues, and and you want to see positive change, this is not the kind of thing to go after, because all you did was make a fuss about something that really has nothing to do with the issue. Um, there are definitely plenty of other opportunities to to put your effort your time and effort behind um you know it, it is what it is i just i thought it was really interesting because we've talked about a lot of social issues on the show uh you know over the last couple of years we've addressed some of the, the the outrage and stuff like that and this just immediately set me off when i saw it because I, I read the article i was like let me see you know what the context is and it even has a picture of the t-shirt and it's like Man, I've seen stuff that's way more offensive out there, and usually it's sometimes attached to a TV show, you know what I mean, or a movie or something that could be taken way out of context. Uh, but this is just like, yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's a landmine. Yeah, and and I'm not, I don't want to begrudge anybody if they if they took offense to the shirt. Like if the guy really felt offense to the the shirt then by all means he has every right to say something to customer service or whatever how whatever mm-hmm. medium medium he chose to to do that in but i i don't think that the store reacted properly i don't think there was any reason to pull that shirt 
Yeah. Um, that's yeah. I don't know. Oh my god! Yeah, it, it, that manufactured rage that I've got to find a problem. I can't believe. Seriously, look. How about how about you stop and take a breath? Is there any other way to take this? Oh, in this particular case, there's a million other ways to take this. Then you need to stop. Yes, there are times when things are said that, without context, dude, that's that's obvious. You should never have done that. You know. Case in point, non non offensive, but case in point, we had the agents only lounge for from the helicarrier, and somebody very quickly pointed out, "Hey, you're AOL." I'm like, "Crap!" You know, we never not that it was offensive. It was like we never would have done that if we realized the the dumity they went with it. And yes, I made up a word for that, but it's like AOL is kind of the bane of jokes, and we would try to come up with a different one. So yeah, you can stop and think about the ramifications, but seriously, it's a quote from the line from the show. You know, we could take that mission on, and I'm not saying we should, but we could take that mission on. Let's find out-of-context geek moments and see how racially or otherwise insensitive we can make them. Let's you know? not. But let's welcome, we, world. We found your rage for you. There's already a huge issue with that in mm-hmm. gaming, and mm-hmm. yeah, no, there, there are already plenty of people fighting that fight, um, bringing those battle lines to a... Uh, an internet post near you so yep yeah yeah no you're we're with it we're there i i mean i guess (sighs) never mind the fact that the show takes place in georgia and at no point are there any more than Mm -hmm. three black main characters and this shirt is what you want to this well right but this shirt is where you want to cry racism at right yeah i got what you're saying yep i come on (laughs) there are bigger battles and this 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 deep this takes away from from your standing when you try to fight those bigger battles. This just what this amounts to is is crying. <laughs> now I'm mad. No, yeah. I mean we we this has been a great show, man. We we got to beat up on Charles. <laughs> and by the way, Charles, don't think I didn't notice you posting on Facebook <laughs> in the middle of the show. I'm like for get first- ahead of this, man. It's yeah, all yeah. about spin, <laughs> baby. It's all about spin. Nick Fall posts on the on the show Facebook that he what he just said, and he's like, "Oh man, I really got it. You guys are in for a treat this weekend, man." Ah, uh, you this. Do you know how meta this moment is? That Mark, like marketing one hundred and one, man. You take yeah. it, you run with it. We're referencing a thing that hasn't even happened Happen, for a yeah. long time. <laughs> Oh, All right. <laughs> so this Facebook page he refers to is facebook.com forward slash breaking the panel. Uh, Patreon, you can come help us out. Your money goes to my education. So the more you donate, the more I learn about this stuff. So patreon.com forward slash breaking the panel. Uh, iTunes, rate us, review, all that good stuff, and giantsizeteamup.com for us and many other awesome, awesome shows. Looking for your emails. Emails at page, at uh, btp at giantsizeteamup.com. That's B is in breaking, T is in the P is in panel at giantsizeteamup.com. We'd love to hear from you. We want you to be more of a part of what we do here. So please find your way in. We'd love to hear from you. Tune in next week to hear Chris say. It was four words on a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Breaking the Panel is the flagship podcast on the Giant Size Team-Up Network. You can support the show at patreon.com slash breaking the panel, and you'll find more of our amazing podcasts at giantsizeteamup.com. Giant Size Team-Up.